This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. From the office and manufacturer of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. For our guest today, we're very honored and really excited to welcome Kimberly Dedell, architect and director of business development at HOK, as well as the 2020 national president of the National Organization of Minority Architects, NOMA. Kim also won the 2020 AIA Young Architects Award honoring individuals who have demonstrated exceptional leadership and made significant contributions to the architecture profession early in their careers. You can find her on the web at hok.com slash Kimberly Dadell. Again, that's hok.com slash Kimberly dash Dadell. Kim, always Hi, awesome to see you. Great to see you too. Kim, you know... <sighs> We talked about it a little bit before we came on the show. So what are some of our topics? And one I really love to talk about is the advocacy and the level and the depth of advocacy that you you bring in not just architecture and design, but to um, really the nation as a whole. Have you did you see yourself doing that when you entered architect school? Well, Tom, first, thanks for having me. It's always great to have uh, interesting conversations. This is uh, this is one that I, I think I'll enjoy a lot, why I always enjoy everything we discuss. But um, how it started for me was just, you know, being a kid from Detroit, wanting to uh, improve my city. And so, you know, at age 11, I, I said, hey, there's this really beautiful old building that's boarded up. You know, I, I just learned what an architect did in a, uh, an art class that I took recently. And I was like, oh, if architects work on buildings, I want to work on this building and, and improve my city. That's literally how it started for me. And so the answer to your question is no, I didn't see myself living all over the country and even internationally and, you know, advocating for all of these different things. I really just wanted to, to make a difference in, you know, this one place, Detroit. Uh, but, you know, I've since expanded my scope to include cities more broadly and even, you know, outside of the urban context. I think that... Um, you know, I, I firmly believe that architects can see the future, which is something that, you know, most people can't do. And so I want to use that uh, that unique ability to uh, help, you know, project what's uh, what's likely to happen and, and to advocate for uh, optimal outcomes for everyone. I love that architects can see the future, the majority, vast majority. So it, would you say it's more of a calling to be an architect than it's something you kind of back into? For me, it was. I, I know that different okay. people have, have come to architecture in different ways, but for me, it was like this this aha moment when I was a kid that, you know, it's just like, all right, architects, you know, have the ability to to do a lot of, of really cool things, you know, both, um, you know, with the built environment, environment, but also just generally like problem solving and creating cool solutions, being, you know, a combination of both an artist and a scientist. And so that, for me, really kind of sold me on architecture. That improve uh, improve my city. It seems everywhere you go, uh, I'm definitely patting you on the shoulder. But everywhere you go, you like to improve things. Is that just your nature? It's just okay. I've always been that way. I'm like, you know, hey, there's a better way to do this. Why don't we consider doing it th- this way or that way? Or 
you know, why don't we work with this other group and see if we can pool our resources? And, you know, it's just kind of a thing that I've actually been doing since I was seven, if you can believe it. I, um, so I joined my, well, it was my grandmother's church, but ultimately became my church um, when I was six years old. And then when I was seven, I joined the usher board, the youth usher board. And I didn't like our uniforms. And so I suggested that we change them and they made me president of the youth usher board. So I've been leading things for a really long time. On that, go back to what we said you started with, the ad texture. Share with us what that means to you to add texture, not just obviously to your show today, but in, in general and in your, in your practice and profession. Yeah, so it's funny. We were talking about adding texture in the sense that uh, I'm sitting in Chicago right now, and um, I'm pretty close to the L train. And so every once in a while, you'll hear this rattling in the background. So I said, hey, just, you know, for a little added texture, uh, we've got the train to really, you know, show that, that uh, you know, uh, connection to the city. Uh, but I mean, just in general, adding texture to, you know, the work that you do and, and just connecting the dots, I, I think, you know, bringing in, you know, various voices. Uh, I think, you know, having diverse perspectives is important to adding the, the kind of texture that, you know, creates a, a better you know, a better environment. And so, um, yeah, I mean, for me, texture can mean a, a lot of different things, but, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's about um, making it more interesting and more effective than, you know, perhaps it would be otherwise. Not to say that the, the L train in the background is more efficient, but it, I mean, it kind of is what it is. So, <laughs> yeah. That diverse perspectives, why is that so important to you, you, you feel? Yeah, I mean, I, well, there are studies that show that diverse teams are more successful than, you know, teams that, that don't have that level of diversity. In fact, there's a whole book about it called uh, The Difference by Scott Page. And, you know, it actually has, uh, you know, it outlines the different studies that, um, that, that prove that out. But just in general, I, I think that, you know, if you want to have uh, great outcomes, you need to understand, you know, the various perspectives, especially, you know, any, any group of people, um, you know, that can bring different, uh, you know, ideas and viewpoints, uh, you know, are going to come up with better solutions than a group that, that's all coming from the same place and, you know, from the same experiences. So I, I think solving problems, particularly um, interdisciplinary problem solving is, is really important. So not just having a group of architects, but, you know, like, for example, if we're trying to solve um health disparities, which is obviously a huge deal. You know, I think architects should be at the table, which maybe some might think that's odd, but, you know, we have a, a great deal to do with the built environment, but certainly uh, doctors, public health officials, um, you know, city government leaders, um, attorneys. I, you know, I think that there are a lot of people or a lot of disciplines that are interested in, again, for the example here, uh, you know, health disparities in public health. And so getting those uh, diverse groups of people together to bring their expertise and to kind of cross-pollinate ideas, I think would be, you know, really great. I like how you said that, that cross-pollinate. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I've heard any that ever said on any shows I've done. What, what's that mean to you? I mean, I love it, the, the term, but that's really, really interesting. You say well, that? actually, there's a term we use a lot um, at the firm, uh, HOK. Uh, you know, we've, we've been at the forefront of sustainable design for a long time. And, and one of the, uh, the terms that we, uh, that actually first learned in the context of the firm, probably in 08 or 09, was biomimicry. And so actually mimicking biology. 
And so when I think about cross-pollination, you think about, you know, how like bees pollinate mm-hmm. and kind of take, you know, from one place to the other. And so I think if you extend that to the notion of, of you know, ideas and work that's done in one discipline and kind of transferring it over to another, I, I think that some really interesting things can uh, can happen. And so I, I also enjoy the word cross-pollination. So Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, very thanks, flow, has a nice flow. That on that subject of cross pollination, I've t- shared with you probably a couple times of my belief that if uh, cities had mayoral candidates or even mayors of cities that were architects, now that has that of course it, ha- it may happen now, but I know it has happened. What's what's your thought if you do not just have a seat at the table, but kind of at the head of the table as an architect? I'm very biased, and I'll admit that right now. But what's your thought on that? Well, again, to my earlier point, architects can see the future. And I think that having kind of a visionary person and, you know, not architect, not all architects are the same. So I won't, you know, go there. But I will say that just generally there's um, this notion of of taking something that uh, that doesn't quite yet exist and then turning it into a building or in the, in, in the context of a landscape, but landscape design or, um, you know, just basically creating something out of um you know, something that doesn't quite, quite, uh, have, have any form just yet. And so when you think about leading a city, I think that, um, you know, having that, that sensibility and also, uh, the, the, you know, the notion of bringing together a lot of different people to, uh, to work on different problems and projects, you know, that's something that architects do. Like we work with our various engineering partners, we work with contractors, we work obviously with our clients and, you know, the governmental authorities. And so generally speaking, architects, you know, who have some, some mileage behind them, you know, can, can work with, with really, uh, robust teams very well. And so seeing the future, working with robust teams, being creative, being a problem solver, being able to articulate ideas. I mean, I think that's, that's really, um, you know, a great place for, um, you know, an architect. Well, I think that's a, that's a great set of skills that a, a mayor can use. And certainly mayors can be all kinds of different things, but I think uh, some of the more interesting ones have been, have been architects and designers. And there aren't many of them, and there haven't been many, but hopefully um, we can inspire uh, additional people um, in the design world to consider uh, public service. It's fascinating. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Cereclad. We're talking today with Kim Dadell of HOK. For more information, feel free to visit the website at hok.com forward slash Kimberly dash Dadell. Again, that's HOK dot com forward slash Kimberly dash Dadell. Kim, uh, I'm going to touch back on that again, especially since you have such a significant presence in the architecture, design, and the built environment. I say the community, but actually the country. On the subject of Mario, because obviously city, urban, and any city, in fact, if the, is there a place where an architect has... I don't want to say maybe autonomy is important, but an actual authority within the city itself to influence the growth and the the uh, the advantages and benefits for the city and its communities if, that you're aware of. Well, I think about Chicago, where I'm sitting at the moment and where I've lived for the last few years, and uh, we actually have a leader in our planning department, the planning commissioner's name is Maurice Cox. He actually had been a mayor. Uh, so he's an architect, a planner, 
Uh, he, he was the mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia for a period of time. And he's done a lot of different things, um, you know, throughout his career. Uh, prior to coming to Chicago, uh, he worked as the planning director in the city of Detroit, which is where I'm from, as I mentioned earlier. And actually, I worked with him for a little bit while I worked in city government in Detroit. Um, but, you know, Maurice, uh, or Commissioner Cox, I should say. Uh, it's funny, I've known uh, Commissioner Cox for the last 15, 16 years since we co-founded an organization together called SEED, which stands for uh, Social Economic Environmental Design, which has a mission to advance the right of every person to live in a socially, economically, and environmentally healthy community. And so that's been kind of, you know, part of our sensibility, uh, frankly, from the beginning of our careers, but, you know, along with the larger C group since then. And so taking some of those, those ideas about creating, you know, those, those, um, more healthy communities, uh, Maurice has been very active in Chicago, you know, taking design thinking and, you know, really working closely with the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, um, to uh, to create more equitable outcomes. And so there's a specific program called Invest Southwest, uh, which is looking at investing in the south and west uh, side neighborhoods of Chicago, which have historically been uh, underinvested and they're, um, as no surprise, they are predominantly communities of color. So black and brown neighborhoods that, uh, that are just now starting to get more attention, more funding, um, more design support. And so Commissioner Cox has been very intentional about creating, um, you know, just, just more, um, more of an effort around, uh, you know, neighborhood infill, uh, again, design excellence, bringing, you know, great design talent to these neighborhoods, uh, and strong developers to, to, to kind of create a new future for some of these neighborhoods that, that could really use some, um, you know, uh, tender loving care, if you will. In your experience, how has, uh, developers, investors had, uh, Invested. I mean, what is incentivizes them to have that sense of warmth, one, and two, two, to also provide the capital to invest in a community so that that community can become, I can't think of a better word, but, you know, robust and whole. Yeah, well, I think it's really important to look at um, tri-sector collaboration. So the private sector obviously has to have some incentive. Um, the public sector has to be involved to kind of, um, you know, provide the 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 economic, to make the economics work, essentially. And then also the, the not-for-profit sector, which I'm now calling the for-impact sector, um, you know, they need to be involved to kind of fill, fill in some of the gaps. And so I think, you know, as a, uh, a developer on the private side, if you're interested in, um, you know, perhaps raising your profile and, and, you know, doing some, some positive things, you know, these are neighborhoods to look at, but you also still have, you know, have investors that you answer to. And so you have to, you know, ensure that they are comfortable with, you know, with the investment that they're making in, in you and your project. And so, you know, as a savvy, developer, you're going to need to ensure that all the resources are at the table to make it, you know, to make it work. And so, uh, you know, I certainly commend uh, the city of Chicago for uh, for putting in the effort to uh, to find ways to, you know, to make those those capital stacks work. Um, in fact, I'm on the board for the Chicago Central Area Committee, and we've actually been, you know, donating some, you know, some pro bono time to, you know, essentially putting together teams of professionals around the city who are helping to, to figure out, you know, how to make these, these performance work, how to, you know, line up the capital stacks so that, you know, they actually are, um, you know, workable. 
And so, um, you know, I, I think it's important for city government to to reach outside of itself to ask for support, which again, CCAC and other organizations are are giving to make sure that um, developers have what they need to, um, you know, to make these these projects uh, successful. And to your point earlier, uh, make these uh, communities more uh, robust and healthy. Like your your adjustment in terminology, instead of nonprofit for impact. What made that change? Because I really think it changes the perception significantly. Yeah, so actually uh, there's a developer in Detroit who uh, who I've collaborated with in the past uh, called The Platform. And um, I was having a conversation with uh, with Peter Cummings, who, who leads The Platform, and uh, he mentioned that as part of, um, you know, the conversation we're having about uh, you know, the not-for-profit sector. And he said, well, actually, at the platform, we call it uh, the four-impact sector. So uh, I kind of borrowed that from Peter. Thank you, Peter Cummings. Yeah, I like that. There's another another uh, terminology I like that you use that I use now. And it was uh, uh, a subject It's very familiar with everyone right now is, is uh, homeless. Instead of, it's not homeless, it's, uh, how, I forget, was it? House? Unhoused. Unhoused, yeah. yeah. Share with us that as well, because yeah, that perception so, really shifts. Yeah, a few years ago. So um, as you mentioned, so you said that I was the 2020 president of NOMA. So I was actually the 2019 and 2020 oh, president. Yeah, so it's two thank years you. that I got to, to lead this wonderful organization, the National Organization of Minority Architects. And um, my very first year, I um, had the opportunity to host a conference in Brooklyn, New York. It was in person. We had a huge number of people, record number, 1,200 people. And then we were planning to go to Oakland, California for 2020, but we all know what happened in 2020. So we actually had to pivot to a virtual-only conference. However, in 2019, as we were scoping out the conference venue in Oakland, we had an opportunity to spend time with our uh, SF NOMA or San Francisco NOMA chapter, which was hosting the Oakland conference. And so, you know, just in conversation with them, um, they they really taught us about um, what it what it, what it meant to be, um, you know, vulnerable in you know in the context of of Oakland and you know San Francisco, which, as you know, is a very expensive market, and. Um, you know, we talked about homelessness and I was corrected by one of our chapter members who said, actually, here we call it the unhoused. And so that's when I started to kind of change my, my terminology around that. In fact, that's when I first met you, Tom. That's right. Unhoused. Yes. Yeah. Now, have you uh, noticed there's a bit of a shift in that or is it still somewhat uh, only a few folks are aware of that, that uh, terminology? Because it really can change people's perception for the positive. Yeah, I mean, I, I have um, made a point to to say unhoused when people say homeless, and so I mean, I'm hoping that just by me doing my part, that helps a little bit. But um, I haven't noticed a huge shift just yet. But hopefully, you know, as more and more people start to uh, to contemplate making making the change, that um, it'll become uh, a more commonly used phrase. In your experience now with the, some of the projects you're doing with HOK, would be if you're at liberty to share with us. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a big part of my responsibility, I'm a marketing principal uh, in our Chicago studio. And so a lot of what I do is, um, you know, embedding myself within the Chicago community. So I serve on a number of boards in Chicago um, to, you know, to really start to, to connect more meaningfully with, um, you know, with developers and decision makers and, you know, government officials and things like that to, to position the firm for, uh, for, for important projects. Um, and, and, 
In fact, all of our projects are important. Uh, I'm really excited about a project that we're actually finishing up uh, in Chicago right now, um, Terminal 5 at O'Hare, the international uh, terminal expansion, uh, which should be opening up in uh, you know, later in the fall. Um, also really proud, and this isn't my home office. In fact, well, actually, it was my original office when I uh, joined HOK in 2008, but uh, the New York office is getting a lot of kudos for uh, Terminal B um, and at LaGuardia, uh, which actually just uh, two weeks ago, Time Magazine named HOK one of the 100 most um innovative companies uh, in, mm. in the world, which is pretty exciting. And so, so you know, love our aviation work, um, our healthcare work. Uh, I mean, frankly, all of our projects are, are large, um, you know, complicated, interesting, have an impact. Uh, in fact, our, our design principal in Chicago, Peter Ruggiero, uh, has said in the past, and I have borrowed this from him, HOK designs the buildings that make cities work. And so, you know, any kind of project that that really, you know, is is about making the city work, that's, you know, that's what we're excited about working on. So part of my role is to, again, position ourselves to to design the buildings that make our cities work. Excellent. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Cyroclad. We're talking today with Kim Dadell of HOK. Our public service announcement for today's show is Ingenuity Chicago. And you can visit their website at ingenuity-inc.org. Their mission is, Ingenuity's mission, is to ensure that every student in every grade and every school has access to the arts as part of a well-rounded education. As Chicago's leader in arts education, Ingenuity focuses on four primary strategies, data and research, Partnerships and Learning, Advocacy, and Creative Schools Fund. For more information, again, feel free to visit ingenuity-inc.org. Again, we're talking with Kim Dedell of HOK. Kim, with uh, business and in, uh, in commerce, commerce constantly evolving, specifically with the, the pandemic, the expectations um, uh, have evolved as well. What's changed in your experience over the last, say, you know, two, three years, mainly two even. Yeah, well, I, I moved to Chicago in 2019. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was, a, I guess, sort of regular year. And then as we know, 2020 turned everything upside down. Um, and so I didn't get to spend much time in Chicago, um, you know, prior to that, because I moved here like mid-year. And then I was traveling a lot as NOMA president. And so, you know, I finally kind of sit down in 2020 and, you know, it, it you know, obviously uh, shook things up quite a bit. Um, you know, for obvious reasons, a lot of our clients decided to, to pause uh, projects because of the uncertainty in the marketplace. Uh, and so, you know, luckily... Um, HOK has a, a pretty diverse uh, array of projects such that, you know, we we're able to weather the storm fairly well. You know, obviously everyone was, was impacted, but uh, we, we did generally okay. Um, and then in 2021, things really started to pick back up again. And 2022, I mean, um, we're, we're like, things are going well. I mean, we, we're always looking for, for new projects to kind of um, build our backlog, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely, um, you know, feeling, feeling very busy and, and fulfilled with, uh, you know, with the great projects that we have uh, currently. And, and again, certainly looking for uh, additional um, work. 
But I think in general, you know, there's just so much uncertainty in 2020 and, and a good part of 2021 before uh, the vaccines really kind of took hold and, and kind of started to stabilize things. And so um, just that put a, a pause on so much. Um, and so then there's this, this built up demand uh, that we're now starting to um, to really uh, see. And then the other thing that we're seeing, and again, not just HOK, but throughout our industry and frankly, other industries as well, but there's a bit of a talent shortage. And so we're always looking for, you know, the very best talent to, to you know, meet the, the requirements of our various projects. And so, uh, so that's been um, a part of our focus as well, just, you know, helping people to, to understand how, you know, we're distinguished from other firms and, you know, really relying on our mentorship program and our um, corporate social responsibility program, HOK Impact, and, um, you know, just the other great things that, um, you know, that, that HOK, uh, you know, is doing in the industry as a leader. So uh, hopefully that, that helps us recruit and retain uh, more great staff members so we can do more great work. Kim, what, what do you, you like to share uh, on your show today that we may not have discussed? Well, um, I'm actually really excited to share that I'm running for uh, national president of the American Institute of Architects. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to run in, in January, which is pretty close to the, the deadline to declare. And part of it was really driven by my desire to um, you know, help help the AIA um, to, to better serve its members. I've been a member since 2007. Um, and I got to really better understand some of the inner workings of, of, of the AIA over the years, but particularly when I was president of NOMA from 2019 to 2020. And in fact, I was, you know, part of the effort to, to get NOMA more actively involved with, you know, teaming with the AIA and some of our other um, partner organizations in the industry to not only push for, you know, greater equity, diversity and inclusion and belonging, but also, um, you know, thinking, you know, more strategically about, you know, how to have, um, you know, how to create more uh, of a sustainable um you know, approach to to design and and building a, a more inclusive built environment. So really looking at, at climate change, looking at diversity and and how to, to make our profession better. And so I decided to run. Uh, and if I'm elected in June, I will actually be the first black woman president in the AA's 165 year history. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, should I, again, should I be elected, that actually opens up more possibilities for, uh, you know, for women, for people of color um, to see themselves represented in this profession. So I'm excited about that and hopeful to, to take that role on in 2024. Well, Kim, I think you'd be a terrific addition to the AIA and uh, we'd be honored to, for you to be a president and for the whole country, thank you very much for even considering to, to run. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Kim, it's also a, a tremendous honor and pleasure having you on the show today. Always great to talk with you. Um, it's it's always an honor to, to be with you in any capacity, digitally or in person. And I thank you very much, Kim. I thank you, Tom. And have a great rest of the day. I hope you do as well. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Cereclat. Our guest today has been Kimberly Dadell, architect and director of business development at HOK, as well as the 2019-2020 national president of the National Organization of Minority Architects. For more information, feel free to visit the website of hok.com forward slash Kimberly dash Dadell. Again, that's hok.com forward slash Kimberly 
Dell. You've been listening again to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Sarah The podcast is recorded from the offices in Redmond, Washington, and on location. The executive producer and host is yours truly, Tom Bureau. Thank you very much for listening.